Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Uh, today is, uh, so I, I just want to think about how to, how to kind of get this off my chest just a little bit. I've never, I've never understood why, like the, the thing at my house where I, I pull into to, you know, when I'm home, is called a parkway. I mean, a driveway, right? It's got a, a very little driving takes place on that. And why we call like long stretches parkways. I, I really, I struggle with that a lot. I, I spend a lot more time on that than, than I should, I promise. Uh, because those kinds of things really, like w- why we choose different words, uh, Macy and I, uh, uh, my 13-year-old, we've been kind of wrestling through like idioms and things that we say. It's like, what in the world does that even mean? But we say them very quickly. We say them, but like, what in the world does that even mean? And how we have to be carefully internationally because a lot of communication don't transfer and, and that sort of stuff. But uh, so, so I, you know, I can't understand why this is called a building when it is already built. I think these should be called bilts. <laughs> I just can't figure it out. And so I think about that, and again, kind of silly, and I'm being a little bit silly, but um, although it does bother me uh, a little bit, uh, is that's what, like, our, like our, our faith, who we are, who we are, uh, we are, the Bible calls us, the building of God. We're not the built of God, Right? So as we think about these songs that we're singing this morning, it's like we, we recognize that the progression of our faith is just that. It's a, it's a progression. It's not a definitive moment in time where we say yes to Jesus and that's it. And, and a lot of Christians have processed their faith in such a way that's like, you know what, I've made a decision to follow Jesus and now I'm just waiting to die or, you know, for his return, uh, which would be even better. Uh, And so I want us to be reminded today that our life in Jesus is a process. It is a progression of growth. And it's not, if it cannot be identified by a single moment, but a series of moments. And so that's kind of where I want to start today is if you are like in a place in your life, the last place that you need to evaluate is in the moment you're in. You shouldn't evaluate the moment you're in, but the direction that that moment is leading you, okay? So especially as a Christian, I know that we, probably it's got a lot to do with our culture, we love to evaluate the moment, and and we tell ourselves how to feel based on the evaluation of a single moment, but faith cannot be accomplished that way. So we have to look at the long run, at what God is doing, not just what God is doing in a moment but over the course of our life. And so in a lot of ways, this sermon, I don't even know that I can call it a sermon. I've wrestled with it a lot. It's much less of a sermon and a whole lot more of just a a study. It's it's more of a continuation, really, from from last week. More of of a survey of what Jesus will do. Kind of further application. And so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you, uh, there's just there's just no way uh, to be able to to catch to catch up because I didn't even quite get finished last week. Uh, so so that's that's kind of I'm just saying those things is, uh, uh, as as uh, kind of presumptive to the message. Uh, 
most of us, when we read Scripture and we find Peter to be likable, I feel like Peter is likable. Uh, he's, he's lovable. Uh, when I think about people that I might would get along with that follow Jesus, I think that I would get along with Peter a whole lot better than I would with, with Paul. Paul is uh, 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 more direct and consistent. Peter is some like you, she's like, you never have to worry about carrying the conversation when Peter is in the room. I like people like that. Pressure's off. And so we find him, I find him likable and lovable from the very moment that we get introduced to him. Uh, we, we can identify with him easily. He definitely has his natural strengths. He's outgoing. He's gregarious. He's transparent. He's enthusiastic. We see more about his, his uh, personality, perhaps more than any of the other early, early disciples. Most important, he loved Jesus from the very beginning. But I'm not sure that knowing what we know already of Simon Peter, that we would pick him to be on our world changers list. I don't think. Naturally, we would say, that guy. I mean, we would say that guy's got it, but it wouldn't be got like good things. That guy's got it. He's not influential. He's not popular. He's not thoughtful. He may not seem like he is high capacity. He doesn't have a positive way with people. If we're starting, looking to start, start a movement, he's probably not our guy because he's impulsive and he's strong-willed and his faults are very obvious. But I think that's exactly why Jesus chose him. Who would be a greater candidate to demonstrate spiritual growth and transformation than uneducated men like, like Simon Peter? So just let this sink in as we, as we begin today. Jesus doesn't choose people based on influence. Jesus doesn't choose people based on popularity. Jesus doesn't choose people based on beauty or on financial strength or what kind of following they have. You do not become more noticeable to Jesus because you've become more noticeable to people. It's really important for us to understand how Jesus chooses people. He chooses people based on what can be done through them, not on who they are originally. And so, so much in our culture, we work so hard to be the kind of person that's worthy or likable or favorable. We're trying to get favor with people. But most of the time, that's working in the flesh rather than allowing Jesus to work through us. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. I'm sure that was meant as a compliment. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
And so I think sometimes we get a little bit ahead of ourselves when we evaluate ourselves in a good moment. Like, you know, of course Jesus chose me. Now, nobody would admit that. But we have to be very careful to recognize that Jesus wants to work in our weaknesses. Not to show your strengths, but to magnify his in us. He must increase. We must decrease. And so that's what enables us to see such a contrast after Peter was converted. Jesus' work in Peter. Now, some of you have heard me say this before, and, and I really I don't want it to seem harpy, but I do want to be very clear on this. The goal of Christianity is not so that Jesus can produce a better version of you, but it's so he can remove you and replace you with him. So if you're just simply choosing Christ to be a, a better person, to turn over new leaves, to just try to have a better whatever it is, you're missing the point of Christ's work in us, not just around us, in us, becoming like him. To move from conversion, which is that moment, to transformation, which is that process. Simon was anything but a rock. He wasn't dependable. And before God's Spirit, he often spoke or acted in ways much different than the way Jesus modeled. He seems very consistent with impulsive actions. He's the first one to answer. Probably doesn't raise his hand first. I don't know that this is true. I really don't. And I've, I've, I've went back and I've tried to, to do like a word study on it just to see if something was there. But at the very, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry with the 12, uh, I'm going to kind of tell this as a shotgun story just for detailed uh, purposes. But Peter is married and his mother-in-law is sick with a fever. I mean, it's like she's in the bed sick. And Peter's like... You guys want to come over to the house for a while? Uh, I mean, I don't know that's for sure, but when they get there, it's like, no, I think Peter is really concerned about his mother-in-law. He sees something in Jesus, right? But from the very beginning, Peter's the first one that was like, hey, I need a favor if you come over to the house. I mean, I would think if I'm getting to know Jesus, I'd probably be like, I'm going to take all my cues from Jesus of where we're going. What Jesus wants to do is more important than me and saying, hey, I've got a need in my life. Would you come on over? Of course, Jesus goes in and raises her from her fever. Uh, last week we talked about here comes Jesus walking the water and Peter's like, hey, ask me to come out there. I don't even know that I would think that. How many, I mean, how many of you would think that? I don't know that anybody would think that. For Peter, it's like natural. It's like, if it can be done, I can do it. He impulsively tries to kill the servant of the high priest at, there at the end in the garden. All four Gospels tell of Peter's shameful denial of Jesus. And the main reason for this emphasis is probably just to reassure, reassure us that God will forgive even the worst of sins. But I feel like it, it shows more than that. It shows Peter's natural fear. Peter's, I mean, he's been walking with Jesus for three years. And in that singular moment, he evaluates everything by that moment. And he denies his best friend three times. Because that's just his pattern. 
That's just his pattern. Get through the moment. What do I got to do in the moment? And, and again, this is probably reading more than is intended, but he even resorts to cursing and swearing as a response of it. I think he's going like back pre-Jesus. Like this certainly wouldn't be a part of his vocabulary now, but he's explosive. And when Jesus appeared to Peter and some of the other disciples when they were fishing on the Sea of Tiberias, uh, they're, they're very quickly after the resurrection, they resort back to, to fishing again. And when Jesus shows up, Peter put his outer garment. The scripture says he was naked. That's not a great translation. Uh, it, it uses that word often, like without, without proper clothes. Uh, and so, you know, he may have had his shirt off. He certainly wasn't. He certainly wasn't as it is described as naked. He just, he, he was, he was uh, comfortable. And as Jesus is coming and he sees Jesus, his impulse is to cover himself up. And then jump in the water. I want to go around Jesus, but I don't, I, I kind of want to have my shirt on. So he ties it around his waist, it says, girds himself with it, plunged himself into the sea. I'm confident around these guys like that, but I'm not going to be confident around Jesus because our last interaction wasn't great. That's when I denied him three times. I can't approach Jesus like bear. Peter only made the decision that was right in front of him. He was very pragmatic. Peter had the ability to think one step ahead. He's not known for being thoughtful. And this is the very reason that Jesus chose him. Who would manifest transformation better than a guy like this? Peter was outspoken. That's good. It's also not good. When Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus was very clearly pleased with Peter's understanding and Peter's reverence of who he was. And it, it's possible that this compliment immediately went to Peter's head. We can't know for sure. But right after that, Jesus began talking about his upcoming death and his crucifixion and not being there with him and all the events that were going to lead up to that. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Apparently, he kind of took hold of Jesus and kind of nudged him off to the side and began to correct him sternly. This was audacious of a guy who just said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's like what? presumptuous, foolish. Jesus turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God. And he just said that the Father had revealed these things, the Spirit had revealed these things to Peter, not his flesh. And now immediately Peter is thinking in the flesh. Jesus had praised Peter, gave him a stern reprimand, called him Satan. 
Because Peter was very quick to resort back to, revert back to muscle memory. What comes easy in the moment? He's satisfied with who he is. Oh, Jesus said I did good. Now we're equal again. Hey, Jesus, I think you really got this wrong. He was sincere, but he was wrong. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, Jesus told his disciples that all of them would stumble. All of them would be scattered. Peter answered. And the way it says he answered in direct response, it's like he's bragging to him. And he said, even if everyone on earth, if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Wow. Peter's perspective of Peter is strong, mature, better. Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. One of my favorites. This is the transfiguration. I'm just kind of giving you the pattern, right? We're just looking at the pattern. Uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. Peter, James, and John were invited to witness this intentionally. Jesus knew what he was going into. In the scripture, Matthew chapter 17, and behold, Moses and Elijah, listen to this, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, the law, the prophets, and the Savior are talking to each other. And Peter answered and said, hey, Jesus. He interrupts them in a conversation. And he says, is it good for us to be here? Because if you want us to, we're just going to build uh, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I cannot even fathom the audacity of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talking and Peter going, hey, I got an idea. Hey, guys. Now understand this. This is great. Peter, the compulsive talker, he and I, maybe that's why I identify with him. Interrupted the discussion between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. I wonder what they'd have said if they hadn't been interrupted. I don't know. I'm just. And he answered. No one asked him. Nobody said, "Hey, Peter, what do you th- what do you think about this?" I'm downplaying, but I think it's intentional because while this is in verse five, while he Peter was still speaking. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. I love that because Peter had just interrupted Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And now God interrupted Peter and said, This is my Son. Let's hear what he has to say. Can you imagine? Peter, got it, got it. If you go back to the very beginning of this story, you'll know that Jesus knew all of these things, all of these things, and you'll see that Jesus didn't name Peter for what Peter was when he called him, but Jesus named Peter Peter because he knew what he was going to do through him. Despite Simon's impulsiveness and inconsistencies, Jesus prophetically named him for what, by God's grace, he would become 
what he was building him to be, not what he was naturally. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. When Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of Jonah, but you shall be called Cephas, which is translated, it's an Aramaic word. Greek word is rock, Peter, Petros. But listen, Peter's growth isn't about Peter's ability. This is not Peter making personal growth. This is about Peter being exposed to Jesus Christ. Peter gets no credit for his transformation. We see what a better version of Peter can look like. This is no better version of Peter. This is the work of Jesus Christ in a, in a person who is submitted in obedience to them every, every day. So this is not Peter's story. Peter's story is preserved because it's Jesus' story. The process of transformation and conversion isn't complete in belief and baptism. That's only where it starts. If you've said yes to Jesus, that's not, that's not the end of the road. That's the beginning of the race. Believing in Jesus does a spiritual work. It gives the resurrection life to our dead spirit. But God expects us to have more than a spiritual conversion. He expects our minds to be transformed too. Our behavior and our daily obedience that leads to holiness Holiness that leads to Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is the goal of our faith, not a simple decision to believe in Jesus. But spiritual maturity was not and is not automatic. You can see the progression through Peter, watching Jesus work as, Jesus is, as Peter is observing what Jesus is doing, Peter's he begins to change his eyes. His eyes begin to change. He began to change how he saw himself. He began to change how he saw life. He began to change how he saw other people. Jesus' death, instrumental in beginning to shift Peter's heart. Jesus' resurrection changed Peter's spirit. Jesus' ascension changed Peter's purpose. But it was the giving of the Holy Spirit that changed his empowerment. And you begin to see shifts in Peter in every step of the way. And he's, he brought different parts of Jesus into himself. There was growth opportunities. There was moments of transformation that led to the next opportunity for transformation. It wasn't a decision that Peter made. It was the work of Jesus Christ through someone who kept saying, yes, I want more. I want more. And he went from this presumptuous, foolish man to the rock of the first church. Spiritual maturity isn't automatic. But as we spend time with Jesus, we begin to grow in these graces, the graces of Jesus' actions, His life, His walk, the graces of Jesus' death and His servanthood, the, 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 the graces of His uh, uh, suffering on the cross, the graces of His resurrection as He is obedient to the Father's glory, 
the graces of the ascension that allowed the Holy Spirit to come and indwell the believer. As we spend time with these graces, we spend time with Jesus, we hear him teach, we learn his humility, we see his commitment, we learn to suffer with him, to develop his heart for people and the glory of God. We learn to depend upon his spirit. Spiritual maturity is a process that leads to ultimate transformation. We see it modeled in Jesus' teaching of others too. That there's, there seems to be three or four stages of spiritual development. You move from being a believer in Jesus to a follower of Jesus and then a disciple with Jesus and ultimately disciple makers. And I may be wrong about this, but in my experience, most people think that they're more mature than they actually are. Let me stop for a moment. Because you made a decision to follow Jesus doesn't make you like Jesus. It makes you recognize him. But the goal of our faith is Christ-likeness, not a simple decision. I think about little toddlers. You see little toddlers getting ahead of themselves and they want to run with the big kids. You ever seen that? They think they can do it till they get carpet burn on their forehead. So no, 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 you're not safe if you run with the big kids. Or big kids who start acting like teenagers. Lot I want to say about teenagers for a minute, but some of them are in here. <laughs> teenagers who think they know everything. Anybody? <laughs> Young adults who have a whole lot of zeal, but they don't have a lot of experience. They're ready for more, but they don't know what they do. Just keep that failure to launch. You know what I mean? Same way is true with spirituality. Everybody thinks that they're a step ahead than they really are. And all it does is reveal our selfishness and our inabilities, and our lack of obedience. Aware, being aware of where we are in our faith will determine a lot of times what the responsibilities are in that moment. Listen, just because you're a follower of Jesus, this doesn't make, it doesn't make you a, a disciple maker. And so this is going to sound a little bit harsh, but a lot of people think that, like, I'm a Christian now, I'm going to heaven, that's it. Well, okay, well, that's not it. There is the kingdom too, I get that. So i got to study the Bible, and i got to be a disciple. Yeah, well, guess what? That's not, we're not called to be disciples. We're called to be disciple makers, to reproduce, not just to be. The goal of your faith is to instill Jesus not only in yourself, but as an outpouring of that. The proof that Jesus is in you is that Jesus is coming out. And that can't happen with a simple prayer. That happens over the life of your relationship of pursuing him. You don't, don't judge what Jesus is wanting to do in you in this moment, but where you are in this moment and the trajectory of that. Evaluate yourself by the Christ-likeness that you are exhibiting now, not just if you simply believe in Him. We need each stage of development because we... Learn to depend upon Jesus in each stage of development. Think about how Peter, you know, this real impulsive speaker, quick, quick, quick actor, response driven, like reactionary, Christian, Christ follower. And yet, even as he's preaching and pastoring, he struggles with racism prejudice, 
or, or at least nationalism. And he shrank back from meeting with Gentiles because he didn't want to see, he didn't want the, uh, the men from, Jerusalem, from the Jerusalem church who were present, he didn't want them to see him eating with Gentiles. And this was many years after his conversion, right? Now he preached many sermons. After, this, is, this is primarily found in Galatians chapter 2, but in the book of Acts as well. But very much to Peter's credit, and an incredible clue that there's ongoing development, even after you're a preacher. He took Paul's correction pretty well, and he repented of it. So we see that perfection isn't the proof of spiritual maturity. Living in humility, teachability, and repentance is proof of spiritual maturity. Learning, applying, risking. Think about Peter's very first sermon. It's recorded in Acts chapter 1. It's, it's kind of a short sermon. But this is uh, like the, 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 the 120. This is Jesus' ascension, and the 120 are there, and they're like scratching their heads saying, well, what do we do next? And this is what happens when a, a man who's been following Jesus, who has repented, is being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He speaks with maturity. He breaks down the Old Testament teaching. There was an incredible knowledge of Scripture, wisdom, because the Bible, he was inspired by God's Holy Spirit. It was good. It was correct. It was powerful. This was something after the ascension of Jesus, we've never seen this Peter before. Never. Powerful. And all of them, all the 120 is like, yep, that's right. Let's do it. Leadership quality, not just big mouth. But then in Acts 2, Acts 2 is the next step. Peter's faithful in every step of his growth. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Now the Holy Spirit isn't only inspiring, but empowering, dwelling within. And Peter says yes to that. And his second sermon in Acts, we see this mighty preacher of the gospel giving a focused, powerful masterpiece of a sermon. And 3,000 souls were saved. That's the difference between trusting only in the resurrection and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. So each step of the way, you see this, this incredible growth in what Peter is able to do for the glory of God. Peter wasn't perfect, but he was growing spiritually, learning to obey a long time, along the time of his life, moving away from his natural ability and learning to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3. This is the next stage. Tells Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, right? These guys who were locking themselves in the upper room out of fear are now going to the temple to pray when every other prayer person is going to be there. Their testimony at the temple got them in big trouble. The words that they spoke to those who were coming got them in big trouble. They've never done this before. This isn't the guys who are running into the woods to escape arrest when Jesus was there. They're growing, and those failures prove to be the lessons that they would grow by. Peter healed the lame man at the temple, and the crowd gathered in amazement, it said. And here's what Peter said. This is days 
after they're locking themselves in privacy. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? This is the man who not long ago said, I got a better idea. You see what Jesus is doing as he continues to risk and to continue to give more of himself to Christ's likeness? The officers in verse 13 of Acts 3 said, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and marveled. Again, only days of growth, but the people who knew who they used to be they're like, wait, these guys aren't, these aren't the same guys. <laughs> these aren't the same guys. I know those guys. Peter and John were arrested because they refused to run. They were inspired. They were fearless in their testimony because, as Acts chapter 4, verse 8 says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so by the time that Peter writes his two epistles... His character is barely recognizable. In fact, when, when Peter writes his two epistles, it sounds just like Jesus' teaching. It's marked by genuine servanthood and humility. Absolute proof of the transforming power over the life of a person giving themselves to the Holy Spirit. Refusing to stop relying on himself and to start growing in Christ's likeness. You know, last week we talked about this, but to sink in the water and to keep obeying even after you get wet. Who would have thought that Simon, independent, self-willed, strong-willed, presumptuous, brash, bragging Simon would become a role model and talk more about humble servanthood, having a shepherd's heart. If you read the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I've been doing a lot, lot of like watching the development of Jesus, watching the disciples' development as Jesus ministered to them, and there's so much rich, rich truth in there. But most scholars agree that it's most likely Mark's gospel is most likely the gospel according to Peter. So if you go back and you begin to read that Mark has spent a lot of time gathering the information from, from the Apostle Peter. So when you read, Mark is, I mean, he, you think I'm rough on Peter? You ought to hear some of the things that Mark says in his gospel about Peter. He's rough on Peter. And you, when you realize that Mark is simply writing what Peter told him, you get a pretty good glimpse of Peter's view of himself. And then you won't believe what I said. <laughs> and then I was, I said this. And I was the first one to this. He just, it's a book of him telling on himself. You see the way Peter sees himself. Peter's not trying to take credit for anything. What Peter's trying to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what God would do in any one of us if we will simply step out and trust him, not in a moment over the course of a lifetime. Day by day by day. Peter's two epistles are filled with proof of what Jesus can do when you trust him with daily dependence. I want to run through just a couple of things. 
if you look at, and you don't have to turn there, but I'm, I'm going to read it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Peter makes it very clear what motivates and what empowers us is the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He goes on to say this in verse 6. <laughs> Peter, now we've kind of got a little bit of a perspective of his ups and downs, right? Here's what Peter said. That we should be grateful even for our trials, though tested by fire. And that we should rejoice with joy, inexpressible, because of our great hope. And I love that because now all of a sudden this impetuous, quick-thinking Peter who thinks about the pragmatic moment is now saying, no, 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 we need to be, we need to be guided because of our future hope. The decisions we need to make is not how can I get out of this moment, but what does this decision, how is it going to lead itself to Christ's likeness in the future? How's that going to set up his glory in my life for the future? Same guy. Your development cannot be judged by sinking in the water. If, if Peter were to evaluate his ability to be like Christ when he was doing this, he'd have walked away. Don't evaluate, don't evaluate yourself or identify when you're doing this. Just simply say, Lord, save me and continue to grow. Peter kept getting out of the boat. That's what Peter kept doing. He just kept getting out of the boat. And every step of the way, there was growth. Every step of the way. And that was kind of the point. Jesus didn't call Peter because he knew Peter would be perfect. He, he called Peter because he knew Peter would keep getting out of the boat. That's exactly why he called you. Not because of how important you were when you said yes. Because of the living hope that you might keep getting out of the boat. And you might produce the righteousness of Christ in your life. So when I'm me, Pastor, you don't know. Well, make all your excuses that you want. But I know that if Jesus can place himself in Simon, it's the reason we know his story. It's because he's proven to us that he can place himself in you if you'll keep getting out of the boat. He kept risking. He kept failing. But he kept learning. And he kept growing. Because he kept obeying. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2. This formally impulsive know-it-all said, Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Desire the pure milk of the word. That's where you'll grow. <laughs> Believe me. I know it's not about a better version of me. It's the word of God. Don't pat yourself on the boat because you chose to get out of the water three years ago. But by your daily decision to trust what you know God is calling to you. Listen, and it may not be easily recognizable on day two what God is wanting to do in your life, but over a lifetime, over a lifetime, it looks like Jesus. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you thinking more like Jesus? Do you watch more like Jesus? Are you trusting more of Jesus? Are you risking more for Jesus? Are you identifying with him? Are you finding your purpose in Jesus? 
Are you depending upon the Holy Spirit and risking for Jesus? Peter spends the next couple of chapters talking his first epistle, talking about submitting to one another. This brash, proud leader is talking about the importance of placing yourself under one another in every relationship. In fact, he says this in 1 Peter 2, 18. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And it doesn't sound like a guy that was running away from guards and afraid of little girls. 